Hey, happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome back to the I-5 Corridor's Traffic Report. Funny thing is, is this podcast was originally going to be recorded to go out Thursday morning, but as I'm sitting here with Shane Hoffman, it's 12, 12 p.m. here in Portland, Oregon, and Damon Lillard's no longer a Portland Trailblazer. Shane, you texted me about an hour ago just saying, holy Dame, and uh, Damon Lillard is now a Milwaukee Buck, of all things. We have a lot to talk about today. There was a big football game that happened last weekend, a little football game, which is a thing that we're going to hit on coming up this weekend for the Ducks. But, damn. We got lucky with the timing for once. Yeah, yeah. For for the first time ever, the big news happened right before we're going to do our podcast. Instead of putting out a late football podcast, we're putting out a two-the-minute Dame podcast with some discourse about football that's still ongoing. All right, take take me through the, the actual trade here. So... Look, I think everybody won this trade. Um, the fact that a team like Milwaukee gets Dame, they give up Drew and some other small pieces. The fact that the Blazers got any return at this point that wasn't the Heat had to be viewed as a win. I don't know where Blazers fans would have this um, on the tier of like what the possible packages were, but to get a guy like Aiden and then a guy like Drew, who will probably get moved. Right. And then, so this is kind of, I guess, maybe a, a TBD until that happens. And then even the Suns, I feel like, got some new pieces. I, I think more than anything, and, and look, there's going to be people way more qualified than us to like dive into the every nut and bolt of this actual trade. But I think from a Blazers perspective, this is a huge win to get this done before training camp starts. Like this thing has been hanging forever. Just the news cycle has been. Yeah, Scoot doesn't have to answer questions about it anymore. Exactly. It's not just hanging there. And Dame's not going to be a disgruntled guy in camp. He's, it's just not going to be a news story. And the fact that, you know, it ended up being a fun subplot for the last like four months of Portland and Miami fans turning into rivals and, and hated all of a sudden. Was it a fun subplot? Well, I don't know if it was fun, but... It was definitely a subplot. It was, it was something to do. Uh, so for Miami fans not to come out winning that one, um, yeah. And I, you know, I think I think Aiton's an upgrade over Nurkic, most definitely, especially age-wise. And They're know. definitely similar players with similar weaknesses these days, but Aiton's younger. And I think actually for both of those guys... A new scene is maybe what they need to get back to the best version of themselves. Yeah, so I'm I'm stoked about this because now it feels like almost like the run up to the college football season where it was when can we just start talking about actual football? We're we've gotten to that point now with the Blazers and it's it's weird that we've already kind of done the goodbye dame, see you later months ago and now he's finally just being traded but that's right. that's what, like today doesn't feel like that sad day anymore because it just feels it feels like yeah i think you're right like this is now the time where you can really sink your teeth into what the future holds and not have to reminisce about dame living because again it's been essentially a done deal for months since july at this point yeah and like even this morning i saw other reporters tweeting out like scenarios of how would it work on the roster with dame this year and I had, just, a, I had a DraftKings bet that Dame would play his first minutes of the season with Portland. How much did you put into that? Uh, that doesn't matter, but I didn't win. <laughs> so I certainly would not have put it on the Bucks. I, I think the coolest thing, you mentioned this in the open there, but like Dame probably gets a ring now. Yeah, I, it's, it's best case scenario because I believe Portland fans can cheer for Milwaukee Absolutely. in that sense. Very similar franchises. Similar franchises. Actually, 
they're the franchise that actually went in to help their superstar, unlike the Blazers did here. <laughs> right, so maybe not too similar. But, you know, Giannis, out of all the the top-tier basketball players, probably has, like, the highest Q rating out of, you know, he's the guy who has stayed, he's won a championship, he's elite. Funny enough that there was rumors kind of swirling lately that he might actually leave. Now, I mean, Milwaukee, what they did is they've, they've kept now Giannis there for the foreseeable future, they add a great piece. I know they lose Drew Holiday, but you, you can't really be mad if you're adding a guy like Dame, as old as he is. Um, him and, and Giannis, I think, will still be in their primes for long enough where it will overlap, and they have a shot now. And Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and, and what I love about that pairing, too, is if you watch the playoffs, you know, if Giannis has a physical matchup, he can dominate guys, but when you get into possession basketball and it's you need a, a guy to create your own shot, He's a little bit more limited in that in terms of like the top tier players in That's basketball. Dame's exactly what he needed. Like Milwaukee has a guy who can go down and hit a three, you know, give him the ball, or you know, it even creates up more opportunities for Giannis too. Like that's that's I gonna mean, be Giannis, that's, that's gonna be a tough out. That's gonna be a really tough out. Dame has not played with anyone even close to the level of Giannis, and the whole his whole career, the thing has been like, wow, can we get some defensive wings around this guy? And now you have this the, alien, the biggest next to him. one, yeah. And you, you mentioned that Dame helps this team a lot in what he brings. And what Dame lacks defensively, even without Drew Holiday, I feel like... I know Brooke Lopez is getting up there in age, but he, they re-signed him for a reason. You've got Giannis back there, some other pieces. Defensively, he's in a much better situation than he's been in years and years and years. I, yeah, I, I think that clearly makes them the front runner in the East. Meanwhile, the Heat, who... I mean, yeah, you're right. This, you, you know what would be awesome is if Portland makes some sort of deal where they still get Tyler Hero out of all out this. Of, out of true, yeah. <laughs> but the Heat have to be... There was a video Jimmy just Jimmy Butler just posted saying that the NBA should look into the Bucks for tampering, which I find hilarious. Oh, dude, like, like he hasn't been tampering. Right, right. or anyone in the, yeah. in the Heat organization. Welcome to Miami where the Heat is. <laughs> and now the Heat, not only they... They lose him, but they lost him to a team in Milwaukee who was one of their direct competitors in the East. Now is probably the top competitor in the East, unless Miami drastically overhauls their roster. How how are they going to even keep up with a team like that? So what do you what do you think this turns this season for the Blazers into? Well, you made a good point. This got done at a time where this season can now just be about this team, which I think is really helpful. It's now. Truly, the Scoot Show with some some sharp seasoning on it, right? Right. Uh, to get rid of Nurkic too in that contract was huge. I think he and Blazers fans had reached a, an impasse that was not gonna yeah, I, be crossed and figured out. I, I I'm excited to see what Aiden looks like, but again, I just don't. I mean, next week we might be looking at this all differently because Drew gets traded for hopefully a young wing and some picks. Yeah. It, it, it'll be fascinating because I don't expect the Blazers to be any good this year, but with who they got, like, I, I don't think they're going to be the worst team in basketball either. Like, they, they definitely have some guys who can score. I mean, the a young core of Scoot, uh, Simons, and uh, Shaden, like, they're going to be able to score some points. It'll just be, you know, how they end up rounding that out. And, you know, you obviously want to see Scoot take the kind of the strides this year to make you believe that this is the guy that was worth transitioning the franchise for it's beautiful in a way because with dame it's 
it's playoffs or bust every year, and it feels like such a waste when they miss it. And then that tanking just just felt dirty, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, so this is fresh. Like, it's new. It's fresh, and I think if they play their cards right with Drew, even if that means keeping him, to be quite honest, which I don't think anyone should rule out because I think it makes a lot of he, sense. He'd be, he'd be a great guy to take Scoot under his wing and just kind of teach him the ropes a bit. That was that was the one thing that... You also know, be the best defensive player they've had in a decade. A hundred percent. And that, that was the thing with, like, Lillard when he came up. You know, it feels like it's always been his team, but his first couple of years, it was he had a lot of established veterans on that mm-hmm. team. Um, you know, Lamarcus Aldridge, uh, uh, Nicholas Batum, uh, um, Wesley Matthews. Like there was a lot of old dudes that kind of taught him how to, you know, taught him how to be an, an NBA player. And so I think having at least some sort of veteran presence on this roster will help. The rebuilds that have been working lately are the teams that don't just say we want every player to match the quote-unquote timeline. So like Aiden, you know, like you can look at that and say, wow, age-wise, he matches it more. But it's important to have veterans. Success. Like you've seen what's happened with the Houston Rockets. Like that's been appalling, Yeah. to be quite honest. And you don't want Scoot. I don't think Scoot would because his personality, but you don't want Scoot and Sharp to fall into that role of just whose turn is it down on offense now. And, and you know, while it remains to be seen what happens with Drew, I think you could look at that team, that roster, and say, hey, is, is 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 shooting for the ten seed crazy? Right, playing crazy. What a week for Portland talk radio hosts. So, my like, God, for the last three. Like, I mean, I I went on with Justin Myers this morning, and we're still talking Colorado. The the fallout from the uh, discourse from that keeps from, from, from Co- Coach Prime, and it is it, it was just feeling like it was getting stretched a little too thin, and now here come the new the basketball gods to drop this upon everyone been a week man <laughs> i was gonna ask you can you ever remember since you've been covering the team a game that's had discourse that just seeped over into the next week so ex- to this to this extreme of a level not, especially for a one-sided game? I, I was gonna say not a one-sided game like this um, what comes close even to a even in, in a game that was closer Maybe maybe when Oregon beat Washington in Seattle a couple of years ago and Cristobal had the the Kayvon Thibodeau live yeah. stream of, yeah. you know, these motherfuckers are the worst thing that's happened to college football. But Everything that, wrong with college yeah, football. But, yeah, but that was still that was still when the Pac-12 was just like nicely tucked away in our corner of uh, right. the country and no one was paying attention. So for this to be a 42-6 to six game, um, on... After the game Saturday, you know, I wrote my story. I booked it back up to Portland, and then I went away for two days because it was it was my mom's sixtieth birthday, and we got the whole family together to celebrate. And I got back last night, and pe- like, you know, it was like that Dennis Dodd tweet that I retweeted of like, we're still doing this. Like, people are still like making straw arguments about. It's been a fucking mess. Yeah, it's. Um, but at the same time, like, it's kind of great. Like, it's just yeah, it's. Absolutely. it's I love every college football season because you get something weird every year or just something that even if you're like, I'm tired of talking about this, like this is at least like this chapter in the story of this season. And normally week three, week four games are no one, no one cares about. And this turned into, what was it? 10 million people watched. Maybe more. And and that was, and that was with a game where Oregon was up like what? 35 zero at the half. And yeah. Had, just as many first downs as Colorado had total yards. There, there's so much to like unpack with it. Um, also, the fact that Dan Lanning's in his Monday presser 
answering questions about something Skip Bayless said about him. So we okay. didn't expect to be here. Yeah, that that that's when that's when uh, that's when it clicked for me that this could end up being a crazy Oregon season. Just from like they they've the right things have happened for them to grab the national attention, and if they keep playing good football, like this thing, this thing's only going to keep speeding up, especially with the matchups that they have coming up. You you talk a lot to me both when we're recording and when we're not recording about. I don't know if the word is lucky, but just how fortunate you were to cover Oregon at the time you covered Oregon early in your career where they were taking off in all these ways. They got attention for all sorts of reasons, different reasons. Now, for me, like I feel lucky to be, again, I don't think I'm a big part of the media scene here at all, but to be even able to write on platforms about this team right now, and we'll get to Oregon State later, um, but I, I feel fortunate because it's it's exciting. It's, it's a gold mine. Yeah, and it's... I was... Um, I was talking with somebody this morning about it, and we're two weeks away now from Oregon, Washington. Oh my God! And there's a both teams have a bye leading up to it. Uh, Oregon plays Stanford this week, and Washington has is it Arizona? I think it's I think Arizona. So. Yeah. So both games, that both, game could be close. It, it could be close, but like those teams should win those games. Yeah. Um, that that has all the makings of, and I'll have to I'll have to go into history a little bit yeah. more, but that could be the most important Oregon Washington game. Ever really? Because if you go if you go back and look at the series, and I'm not saying that lightly, I know how many times this, these two teams have played, but throughout their history, these teams have never peaked like this quite at the same time. It's I mean, been yeah. Washington's had its run, Oregon's had its run. They've had a couple clashes around where they've been maybe top fifteen, top ten teams, but this could legitimately decide who goes to a playoff game or who wins a Heisman race. Or I was going to say, yeah. I, mean, I don't even know if you need to do the deep dive to know. Like, look, the, the facts are the facts. Two Heisman candidates, two extremely successful coaches earlier in their tenure with these teams, uh, two brands that have Ooh, brands. brands that have never <laughs> maybe been stronger or had more attention on them, and then you you fold in all the attention on this conference for better or worse. And the fact that, like you said, it could decide a playoff. Also, we're in a country right now where Oregon, Washington, uh, they look like top five teams. I don't think that's crazy to say. And they could well be top five when they meet, depending on how things go. A lot of metrics have come out the past few weeks that if you take out preseason rankings and how that has weight on early um, statistical organizational rankings that Oregon and Washington are like, Sometimes they even tell like one. I know, dude. Like S and P plus, I believe was the one I saw. And again, I don't really know what goes into that. But. Yeah, but but those are often the numbers that the supposed smart people in our our right. business cite often yes. as. Yeah, like it. It's looking legit. And what amazes me too is Oregon's playing Stanford this week, which, for the vast majority of the Pac-12 era, has been a pretty awesome matchup for the Ducks. And when I started... Awesome, again, not maybe not the word I'd use there. Right. But, but, but like, when when I started on this beat, uh, it was two years in a row that Stanford knocked Oregon out of the, the championship right. race. And it was... Oregon has the Stanford... You know, it was as much Stanford as it was Washington at that time. And then here, 10 years later, Stanford is an also-ran. Uh, this is probably... My freshman year of college, Stanford was number seven in the nation, and game day came my first game on campus because it was Herbert versus number seventeen in the nation. Yeah, it wasn't that long, ago. and and that that was probably the last peak for them because yeah. Stanford won that game in overtime, if I remember correctly. They did, and then they didn't end up doing much late in that season, if I remember correctly. And then the next season, pretty much, and and then and then after that, it was just like the downfall of the David Shire, yep. and you know now they're going off to the ACC. I and, can't believe it. Yeah, that's 
they're not going to be in the ACC 10 years from now. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know where they're going to end up, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's an also ran like, yeah, it might be a tough game. No, no, it's not. If, if, if Oregon is who we think they are, the Ducks should probably win this game by two or three scores. Oregon. And I think because of all the attention on them the last week, I've been thinking more about like how I feel about them as a team on the field, big picture wise. Uh, I feel dumber and dumber for saying that I didn't know what their thing was entering the season. I, not that I don't stand okay, by so that. Okay, so what is their thing? Their thing now is that they're the most balanced team in the conference. They they look so much faster on defense. They just have, and I think this is what I discounted a lot. It's like you add guys to the portal and like, okay, this guy did this, this guy did this. What they did is they added to the portal and through recruiting really because they're playing like two true freshman defensive ends a lot of the time is guys that just allow them to be more multiple. I don't want to get too in the weeds, but when I think back to last season and why the pass rush struggled, it's like you've got guys out there that are just these kind of chunky run stoppers um, or you know maybe burgeoning pass rushers, but you bring in guys that like that's their specialty now, and so they can have packages out there um, that, that... And you saw it against Colorado because they loaded up against the pass every time, and they sacked Shadur seven times most since 2017. You- they just look... They look great, and and I'm I'm hearing a lot of people now saying that they're the most balanced team. I believe, it. and and when they when they load up like that too, and if they get beat, uh, they're tackling incredibly well, especially compared to last year. Like they'll, the, you know, they'll still which get, another contender in the conference is not. Doing yeah, that. like they'll they'll still get beat for you know a five or six yard dink and dunk up the middle or so. But like last year, where you would see like Oregon guys try to blow up a guy and bounce off of them, and they get yeah. another like 10, 15 yards. Think about like the second half of the Washington game last year. I was really impressed with just the way that everyone in like the second level was able to wrap guys up, and that secondary is playing really freaking great Especially too. Kyrie Jackson, Kyrie Jackson was too. all yeah. over the field, dude. Evan Williams coming and blitzing, blitzing off the side there too. There was one where he just blew up the blocker. I think it was the running back, and still came in and, and got the quarterback. There. There were just times that Oregon's defense was giving you a wow factor that at no point last year do I remember really clicking. Absolutely. And, you you know, before this week it was probably hard to say anything with a lot of oomph behind it because of the level of competition outside of that Texas Tech game. Colorado, for as bad as they got dismantled Saturday... Shadur was leading the, the country in passing coming right. into the game. You and, know? and they weren't playing absolute nobodies, Colorado. They were playing yeah. teams who were legit, and I think they probably will end up putting up some points on USC. You, you know, coming coming back and talking about how Oregon is such like a balanced offense right now, I'm I'm just about to publish. I've been working on a, like a Pac-12 uh, quarterback's power rankings. And I have Nick's at number four in that right now, which is kind of absurd because he's completing like 80% of his passes. He's had a few plays. He's had 11 yeah. touchdowns, one interception. You know, like he's he's basically done exactly what he's been yeah. supposed to do. But unlike Washington where like their entire offense is Michael Penix, like Nick's hasn't had to really carry Oregon by himself yet. Like he's been really good at times. And you saw in the fourth quarter at Texas Tech, he was able to leave that lead a comeback, but he's only, that's like the only fourth quarter he's played in yeah. <laughs> this this season. Like it's it's a luxury. It, it's going to be more than a more than a dig at by you. Yeah, I yeah. I I think it's going to be hard for him to put up the stats to necessarily compete with those guys. But the beauty of this Pac-12 season is he's going to get one to one one on one matchups against every single one of those quarterbacks that are in front of him or outside of him in the Heisman rankings. Um, and if he comes out and beats them, like that'll probably take care of itself. I don't want to, you know, sound too bullish on Oregon, and then they have a letdown 
you know, in Seattle for whatever reason. But I, again, I just think they have more ways to control a game now than they did last year, and then more, more so than any of the other contenders in that Oregon's run game of those of that top tier. Because I don't think we can say Oregon State's in that top tier right now. So of that top tier, I think their run game is the best. They could actually control a game with just their run game, which they could do last year. Now it's like they could control a game with their defense at times if they play it right, and they obviously still have Knicks and a much better cast of weapons for Knicks. If they could just cut down on the penalties, which is fixable. It was even, the, even like it was yeah. another nine on um, Saturday, yeah. That, that, like that offensive, you know, and several of them are false starts from that offensive line, but that was one of the kind of the questions coming into the year is, you're, you know, that offensive line from last year put four guys into the NFL or at least into training camps. I know Oregon has recruited very well at offensive line and uh, utilized the transfer portal, but there's always a little bit of can these five new guys play well together. And if you look at, again, a lot of the advanced stats, Oregon's offensive line is ranked as probably the best in the country right now. And that's... They, they're, they're up there in a lot of statistics. All the offensive statistics, balance-wise, pass defense, they're putting up great numbers. Um, it's been really impressive. And I, I honestly, before we move on, I think we should talk about Dan Lanning. Yeah, yeah. He, um, Dan's a smart guy. He, he knows how to take advantage of any little opportunity given to him. And whether that's on the football field or just the opportunity of, hey, there's going to be 10 million people watching this that want... It's one of the rare occasions where everyone wants us, the team that is... Uh, the team that's favorited, the team that's the historically dominant program. It's one of the rare occurrences where people want us to kick the other team's ass. I'm going to lean into it. And that's what he did. And and Colorado helped things along too by posting the videos the day before the game of them on the O or all the shit talking that they were doing in the middle of the game. Um, yeah, like people know who Dan Lanning is now. Like as you were saying, Skip Bayless is talking. Screw Skip Bayless, but like Skip Bayless is talking about him. It's incredible because Dan Lanning, we've talked about before, We it's just so hard to get a sense for who he is. Um, I think fans really like him, obviously. But to be able to see more of him as just a coach and a motivator through those cinematic um, videos that the, uh, the, the, Produ- video, the production, the production yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, over at Oregon, who's done a great job with them, has been really cool. And I think that just in general, the sport needs more of that. But especially with Oregon... You know, the funniest thing is I don't think his points about rooted in substance and, you know, talk through the helmets, like, totally good points and a great kind of emphasis to go into that game of the season with. And then the funniest part is with that, and I, he knows this, the clicks are now going to Oregon. Yep. And I, he let, I mean, I, would, I don't know if it was him, but he has a say in whether ESPN is in that locker room. He also has a say on whether the media for Oregon is in that locker room. Both were there. That video comes out. I mean, it's very intentional. And, and I, I wrote a piece just the other day for the Portland Tribune about that. And I, I think he he knew the the viewership that was going to be there, the recruits that were in the stands, the transfer, the upcoming transfer portal players watching this, the voters. What a week for for Oregon. Yeah, it was it was as good as it could have gone for Oregon. Um, okay, so here's here, let's just get in to just some of the fun parts about our job. It's kind of weird being in that, like, tiny-ass media tent and then just seeing Deion Sanders walk in. Mm-hmm. Like, I... You were in the front. I, unintentionally. I, I was supposed to be sitting in the second row, 
And then the TV people were complaining that the people in the front row's heads were all in the way, which amazingly mine wasn't, and I have a pretty big dome. Um, so they you were slouching a little bit. Yeah, so they, they all of a sudden they pull all the, the front row seats out, and I don't know if I was even planning on answering asking a question at first, but now all of a sudden I'm front row. I was like, I got to ask. You, you yeah got the classic treatment where you got cut off and but, but you also got a good answer yeah yeah so um, you probably got the best answer you gave it, it, it was it was the one that they've kind of run with a little bit too because that was you know I I was trying to ask just what what is it like for them to be a team that wasn't any good last year that all of a sudden is getting like the we want Bama type of effort from every mm-hmm. other team. Um, you are a discourse driver. Yeah. And he, uh, he, he tried to, or he turned it into something that, which I think is true in some regards is like everyone, you know, they think they're playing me and not the team, but I don't think it's just, they're just playing you prime. I mean, we've all seen the videos. I mean, especially after watching the Oregon video since and seeing just like the absolute trash talk that, that like Colorado was displaying to them in the pregame, like on the field for, for that to fly in Monday night and then just completely, (laughs) you know, flip around what, you know, all the argument points from both sides was, was pretty amazing. I, uh, I am, I am happy though that we can, and I know there are probably a handful of readers and listeners here too, who who are probably like, thank God we're done with Colorado now. Just, Mm -hmm. I, and I've enjoyed it as a early run up to the season, a, a nice appetizer before we get into the big, the big time football, which is coming here in a couple weeks. But yeah, that was that was as crazy of an atmosphere, as unique of an atmosphere as I've ever seen around Autzen. Just even when we were in the media tent, you could hear the the or you know the Oregon fans who were leaving, like just yelling and, and chanting, and it's that that's probably as big of a star as I've been around in that proximity. Yeah, yeah, it is easy to get numb to those things. I think you'd probably agree. But I'm imagining being in the front row like you were was pretty damn you, cool. And, and you know where my freaking mind goes? Like I see, you know, he's trying to look at the stats and he pulls out his phone from his, his yeah. pocket. And it's the brand new iPhone 15, which came out like the day before. And in my head, I'm going, do you think Dion sets up his own phone for himself? Or does like somebody like switch the apps for him? Because, <laughs> you know, like when you get a new phone, yeah. that's part of the fun process is you're like, all right, I'm going to. I don't think he's got the time to do that. Do you? Uh, I don't. I'm glad you didn't like, ask me like, question. Like, do you think somebody just hands a new phone to him and says, like, Dion, here's Ma- the new Deion thing? Sanders Jr. does it for him. Actually, that's that's probably true. Do you want to do a, a quick... This was obviously the biggest story in the Pac-12, but it wasn't the best game of the weekend. And far from it. Do you want to do a quick around the Pac-12? I know you weren't able to watch much. But... Yeah, you know, the. I was glad Oregon State was able to at least... Get the score closer there yeah. at the end to at least, get, at least yeah. yeah because you know it was very one sided most it, of the game it it was um, that's that's a tough loss for the Beavers but at the same time that was probably the toughest matchup of that any team in the Pac twelve faced like like this weekend like the Cougars look so good they look so good Cam Ward I have him as number three in my Pac twelve power he's gotten rankings. leaps and bounds better and and if he if he was on an Oregon or a Washington or a USC he would be right there name brand with all those other quarterbacks in the conference right now he was electric last year it just didn't always equal efficient stats I think against the Beavers in Reeser last year you know he had something like three hundred plus yards but he was completing like forty eight percent of his passes against them the other night he was like nineteen for twenty. For two something and three touchdowns in the first half alone, he's got these receivers that I've never even heard of, but we're just making absurd catches, and their defense is really, really sound as well. Uh, USC looked kind of shaky over Arizona State, 
because Arizona State's not um, what's the word I'm looking for? A good offensive team right now. They're not a good anything. Team <laughs> yeah, right now. and and so you you know USC looks exactly like they did last year. They have a really good offense, but their defense can get pushed around and. It's not, yeah, it's not really the numbers as much as it's, like, when you watch, they're still missing those Yeah, and, and so if, if you were to appraise the entire Pac-12 right now, I think Oregon and Washington and Washington State have looked, in the games that they've played, like, the three best teams. Right? Yeah. You know, I, it, it's it's hard to judge USC against that because I think Caleb Williams is incredible and, you know, who, who knows where that can get them. But I, I, I do think that Oregon and Washington do look like top 10 teams right now. Well, and the other thing is USC has to play a really good Notre Dame team, which mm-hmm. none of these other teams have to do. Utah is just a TBD right now until we see rising because what it, they've been able to do without them is great. But again, there's no that, that's why guarantee. The, that's why this Friday is such an important game for the Beavers. Like, you, you're coming back home. You're, place, you're playing a vulnerable top 25 team. Top 10 team. Top 10. Yeah, top 10 team. Sorry. Um, probably the most vulnerable top 10 team there is just considering their quarterback situation. This, this is probably the make or break game for DJU, you would think. Yeah. What have you thought of his performance the last two weeks? It was not great against Washington State. Yeah, he's, they're really struggling to like throw the ball downfield at all. If you look at yards per attempt, like he's middling in in the Pac-12. Which is weird because their run game was really efficient yet again. And that seems... You know, zooming out, it's like, oh, if you can run the ball well, you get some play action going. Again, it just seems like that's why we're so big on slotting any quarterback in this offense. But it just, and I, I really think Washington State's great defensively, but he struggled against San Diego State as well. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, we, uh, we'll see. You know, Aiden Childs is a, a pretty talented player behind behind them, and if it, you know, if they pick up a second loss here, and it's kind of like let's start looking to the future type of scenario. But again, this also shows you how far Oregon State has come. Where yeah. they're three and one right now, uh, and have looked convincing in some of those other wins. I was that, gonna say it's like we don't maybe have them in that top tier anymore. Maybe Washington State replace them, but then if they go and beat up Utah on Friday, it's like they're kind of back in there. Yeah, and and, and if we're sitting here and saying the Pac-12 is as good as it is, and you're losing a three-point road, you're taking a three-point road road loss to another one of those top twenty-five teams. Like you have to give Washington State credit here too. All of a sudden, outside of that USC game, Washington State is the is the home matchup for Oregon that I'm most excited to see. Oh, dude, it's uh, it's I know I know the Beavers go to Austin, but still, I think Washington State that's a big game because they almost beat Oregon last year. Yeah. Um. What else is new? <laughs> I, it, it, it's it's funny kind of just like having that pause there because it's it's been such a intense kind of like last week mm-hmm. and a half of just Colorado dominating the storyline and um I was gonna ask you you didn't go to Oregon you didn't grow up over here so your relationship to the team is purely journalistic no one can really can you know say that you're a fan and you you never have been a fan but when you're covering a team that comes under fire the way Oregon did, and there's so much, all the talking heads, there's just so much talk swirling, like, do you ever feel like you get, not defensive in terms of, like, you want to defend the Ducks because you love them and want to see them succeed, but just in terms of, like, you are someone who covers the beat I, and you want to be... I get I get annoyed when I see exploitation of things based on uh, things taken out of context. Yeah. And there was a lot of that this last Tons week, just, just because of, like, how big this game was and 
again, there's been so many straw, straw arguments last week, but like, I don't feel the need to like come out and defend Oregon or to defend Dan. Like, I guess like, to defend was the wrong word. I'm more no, no, just no, like but, but, set the record straight. Right. But, know? but, but I've, I've seen a lot of that this week though, is it, it, it does seem like there are a lot of Oregon related people that kind of, um, Oregon comes under attack and it seems like, uh, there's a lot of soldiers out there, uh, with the defenses, right. <laughs> if that makes sense. But, um, the ducks don't need that. Like they, as we've seen with just one little video that put out, like they're their strongest media wing. Like they, if, if they want to change a message or a narrative or boy, did they? Yeah. yeah. That was crazy. Um, the one thing that I actually wanted to touch on with that video too, is it seems it, it's such a f- interesting dynamic to have the entire time I've covered this team or college football. It's c- programs have tried to, take away anything that might be controversial or a quote that might get out. Or, I mean, like, hell, I'm pretty damn sure the main reason we don't use the actual interview rooms at Oregon's media thing is, is because during the 2016 season, players were talking negative about there and it wasn't necessarily on the main press conference thing for a a coach to like oversee it. Mm. If that makes sense. Well, and also, I don't think we either, either one of us would be just surprised if Brandon Doros doesn't talk to the media. Right. right. Yeah. So it's, it's very controlled, but then to, to put out something like that, which was just like, basically all the, like it's, it's, it's controlled raw footage Mm -hmm. of just very controlled. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, just keep that in mind when you're watching all these things too, is, you know, Oregon does a fabulous job of putting this out, but it's also their message that they're controlling too. There might've been some Oregon players talking shit during the game as well, but they also backed it up. And so, yeah, um, the, well, the funniest part was you got the clips of Shiloh. You can't really see who he's talking to. It looks like there's guys stretching on the ground that he's yelling down at, mm-hmm. but you really can't tell. But then, I mean, the fact that any of the Colorado players would say that to Oregon, people filming for Oregon, I'm sure they were wearing gear. I'm sure you could tell. Crazy. But Tosh being like, doesn't deserve your attention. And then he's he's like running them through drills and he's like, different culture yeah different work ethic it's like all right dude yeah yeah. here we go i mean but yeah that's at the at the end of the day again coaches are uh you're trying to get 18 to 23 or 25 year olds uh motivated and yeah you know i mean it was very motivated oh yeah hell yeah dude it was great i i would love i would love to be a fly on the wall just during the editing process of one of those videos that they put together just just to see all of the footage that they compile or just like how they go about scripting and something like that. Um, It was a story I wanted to write and attempted to write. You know, just, just message your questions in. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I, it it did make me think, or I guess it made me, Dan Lanning, like you see him talking like that and you're like, okay, this is why like a young coach who has a good resume can be so, powerful because he doesn't have to have some strength coach up there yelling like he can completely control that himself and then it makes me think about like a jonathan smith this isn't a shot but like i don't see jonathan smith getting up in front of his players and doing that maybe i'm just not privy to it but like i'm wondering who these and or these teams that have these older more soft-spoken coaches it's just interesting because again it it seems like especially if i was a recruit and i'm watching those videos like holy shit i want to play for that guy i was about to say it's it's recruiting baby like it, it never stops never stops absolutely but I will also say, for as much crap as we've, maybe not crap, but for as much as we said it's frustrating that Dan doesn't give much to the media, if they're going to go out and do that and you get these behind-the-scenes looks, it kind of makes up for Yeah, that. no, it's, 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 just a, it's just a changing landscape. And yeah. I think that's something that a lot of us have had to struggle with, too, because it's, 
you know, a lot of the behind the scenes looks used to be just just things that only we were privy to. Um, And so it, I, I just find it as added tools to continue telling yeah. the story. You know, the, this might be, the, these aren't scenes or quotes that are given to you in a traditional way, but it kind of helps round out the story. 100%. And, um, yeah. Everybody included that, what, the, at least the footage ESPN showed it during that game in their game stories for the yeah. most part. The last thing I would say on, on Dan is like, I think in general, there were like a, a lot of people kind of arguing against Oregon and what he did was you know, you're preaching you know, substance over flash, but it's like, this is an Oregon program that has all these jerseys and these color changing cleats. But, and I wrote this in that story the other day, but Dan of all people can preach that. If we're going to like, you would be led to believe that a coach who has accomplished as much as he has at his age helped Georgia win a national title as he was overseeing the unit that got them there and helped them win. Like, I kind of feel like he can say that. And, and, the substance was in 42 points. The substance was in six points of defense allowed. Like, yeah, if these were the two flash programs that were playing against each other, the one that had the substance to it won. And and that's the one thing that I think, you know, the the uniforms and the Nike thing get so attributed to the rise of Oregon. And it's, it's right. I mean, that's as important as everything. But that also came at a time when Oregon football was starting to actually play good football on the field, too. And so, like, those things, like, there's been substance to go along with the flash. You know, it's kind of gone hand in hand. And that's not to say that the Nike stuff hasn't completely elevated Oregon to the point that it's at. But, you know, it's been nearly 20 years of Oregon not getting its ass kicked. And that's what's helped build that brand. If Oregon keeps winning, especially if they go to Seattle and pull, will be an extremely impressive win off. Um, you'd imagine that the media attention can it, 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 it'll be all systems go. Yeah, we can, well, I was, where I was going with that is like, will it eclipse? I mean, what, what does that even come? Close man, to? man, it's 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 tough because you you'll have to go back to fourteen. Like Mariota, Mariota was the most popular player in college football. Like he was, I don't think there was a single. You know, it's not. I don't think people hate Knicks, but Knicks is still a little bit of polarizing just because there was a history of how he played before he got to Oregon, and he's very well known. Like, I, there, there was very few negative things that you could say about Marcus when he was healthy. And, you know, the only two times the Ducks really lost with him in the seasons prior to that were the Stanford game when he had his knee blown out. And, um, yeah. That's why but, I use the word eclipse, though, because there's this divisiveness with Knicks, and especially now with... Oregon and with Lanning that might even push it yeah. over oh, the brink. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> Skip Bayless wasn't talking about Mark Helfrich. No. Yeah, Mark Mark Helfrich was kind of of the the school of like don't be seen or heard. You know, let your program show up for yourself. And and and, think, and, and, and Lanning, I think Lanning takes that approach at some points, yeah. like during the week, and I I think he's really good at um, delegating amongst his staff and everything, but. I think he also knows that in this era of college football, the head football coach has to be a personality. He has to be a figurehead. You have to know who he is, especially when you're recruiting going into the future against Jim Harbaugh, against uh, Ryan Day, against Nick Saban, against you know those types of teams. And so, yeah, that was him announcing himself on a national stage, kicking Colorado's ass, and if they keep winning, yeah, he's going to be a pretty big freaking name. And you mentioned with like the Bo Nix Mariota thing, I mean, Mariota didn't catch much flack. It was kind of like your favorite player's favorite player. Yeah, exactly. With him. And Bo Nix, I think there's plenty of people out there that still don't believe he's changed or turned a corner and has become this elite quarterback. It, it would be... Uh, 
it would be a better story if Nick's the, I mean, I mean, is the next story? If let's say Nick wins or leads Oregon to the playoff this year, mm. it, it'll be fascinating to see like how his legacy at Oregon ends up ranking up against the Marcuses. The if he leads him to the playoff, I think his Oregon legacy would be better than Herbert's. I do too. Yeah. I don't think that's insane to say at all. The and, only and thing Herbert would have going for him is is the Rose Bowl at the end. Well, and, and I was gonna say the and, longevity. Yeah, and yeah. But, um, you know, obviously there were some things in the Herbert era that might have held him back more so right. than his own play. So, But but just the, the timing of Knicks, of Oregon being down, of being down a coach and coming in and having a couple years of poor quarterback play. And then, obviously, we're getting way, 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 way ahead of ourselves here. But I can't wait for that game, though. It's, it's going to be so fun. I, and I almost think it's better that it's in Seattle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially after Penix came and, and beat him down in, yeah. yeah. Well, even just just in general, like again, if we're talking about the stage and the attention, like that is immediately the most impressive Dan Landing win without question. I, and I, I bet you game day is going to be there for that one. That would be cool. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, with how much national respect the Pac-12 is ironically getting now, it would be a shame if either that or USC Oregon wasn't because I honestly they should have. Well, they so, should have made Colorado well, Oregon game. Well, maybe they maybe they didn't do that in anticipation of the Oregon U, USC game. That's true. Back. Um, so, anyways, join us next week after Oregon loses to Stanford. Can <laughs> <laughs> you imagine? I mean, we we have a history. Yeah, but if if Oregon is as good as they seem, like this this is anything a, less than a boat racing is going to be yeah, disappointing. This this isn't your dad's Stanford team. No. You know, this is, and it's not your dad's Oregon team either. Substance over flash. Baby. Sub- substance over flash, baby. Uh, any just final, like this podcast. Any, any final thoughts before we? Uh... No, I just it's been such a f- fun week. Yeah. Like I think it would be easy to get kind of curmudgeonly about it. not. I mean, I don't even I don't even use that word in terms of like an age thing, just in general. But I, but I uh, yeah, I mean like like this is. There are a lot of not ideal sport times for Northwest sports fans, but like right now, it's you have a new era for your basketball team. Your football team is matching, if not exceeding, the hype. Um, yeah, it, it could be worse. As we're finishing up here, Dame tweets, The casuals won't be addressed, but the Trailblazers fans and city of Portland that I love truly will be, and they will be addressed truthfully. Stay tuned. Excited for my next chapter. High five corridor.